the main problem is not doing something, it's deciding what to do and that you want to do it. She said, once you've decided that you want to do it, all you have to do is do it. You're listening to Art Heroes Podcast, the show to help you thrive as a digital artist. Tune in to learn how to transform your passion into a career. Get inspired by other kick-ass 2D and 3D artists and find out what it takes to be an art hero. Lee, welcome to Art Heroes Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really nice to be here. Yes, I'm really happy that uh, though you made it. And honestly, I'm honored because as I, I was just telling you, we've never had anyone from, you know, like your specific side of the industry and anyone who's uh, who's running uh, a, like digital art gallery. And so like, I'm really excited to know everything about it. Um, like, actually, can we start with a little bit of your story? Like how you got into digital art and where did you start from with like, what was like in the beginning? <laughs> uh, well, I studied art, um, fine art uh, at university, but then I went on to, um, I was kind of a, a, create, a, a curator really. I, I, I was, realized I wasn't as good at making art as I was at organizing other people to put art shows together. So that's kind of how it started out. And then I ended up working with uh, the Tate. So I was working on uh, projects like big projects for them, like the Turner Prizes and uh, working with the collection. So a lot of it was dealing with the artist directly, um, which was great and very inspiring. You know, it was all my heroes, really. You know, I worked on Susan Hiller's show and worked with Tassa Adeen on a big, uh, you know, big, um, she, she Amazing. worked on a big project with her. Uh, and then I went into the commercial sector. So I was a gallery director um, in London for a number of years. And yeah. how did this trajectory ramped up to, to the digital part of it? That's, you know, like, that's almost, seems almost as interesting because how traditional links with digital. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always been quite tech savvy and it's quite, the art world is incredibly untechnical. It's very physical. It's very much about sitting down with people in rooms. And I was always very much thinking that, you know, the internet and digital art was really a way to reach more people. And when I was at the Tate, I was working mainly with their digital collection as well. So we, we it was always on my mind. Um, I think the technology took a bit of a time to catch up you know, and also people's, um, people's mentality around it, you know, uh, took a while to catch up because I think people really have struggles when it comes to thinking about how to experience art artworks and art experiences in the digital realm. And I, I've always been a great advocate of that because it's just got kind of much more, it's an infinite availability. And then we ended up with, uh, with VOMA, which is where I'm kind of sitting now. Exactly, exactly. And so here we go. Uh, how would you normally describe VOMA to people who have no idea uh, what is uh, digital art and uh, digital art galleries? Sure. Um, well, VOMA, which stands for the Virtual Online Museum of Art, is the world's first, and as far as I can tell, only completely virtual art museum. So the idea was not to create um, digital art gallery, but rather a space that people could go to see works 
that exist in the real world. So we curate a series of pro a program of exhibitions of artwork from across history. So you've got works from old masters all the way up to um, you know uh, contemporary artists who might not have been seen very widely. So it gave us this amazing opportunity to give access to the art world in a way that um, had never been there before. So we created it in a game engine. So it's absolutely stunning. Um, and at the moment we've got, what, three exhibitions, um, an artist display and uh, various other things going on in there, which includes, yeah, like I say, works from across, across history. I think the oldest thing we've got in there is um, a, a mosaic from the second century BC. <laughs> right up to a, a brand new commissioned artwork, which is a digital piece created by an artist called Melvin Gallopon. Wow. So when was the BOMA born? And uh, um, like, how many people are like working on it? Like, what's the, you know, how many people are behind the project? I mean, yeah, it, seems it's one. it was it was conceived by um, Stuart Semple, who's a, an artist, and he's he really goes back to the very beginnings of the internet. He was selling art um, online before that was a thing, you know, back in 2002. Um, so he's been very much in this space for a very long time. And he's, he's a social activist, really. And he's always been very much about, um, you know, giving access to as many people as possible to the world of art. And he and I met a number of years ago when I curated him in a show. And I think we realize that we're kind of we've got a lot of similar ideas um so i think it was when the technology really kind of came to the point where you could do it so the the core crew is pretty small i mean i'm currently curating the shows we get in guest curators as well uh we've got the technical team who are building the thing and you know hanging the show you know hanging in inverted commas the shows so they're kind of creating the, yeah. the artworks to go in the shows um, and then we've just got, yeah, we've got a couple of web people, a couple of marketing people and PR and things. It, it kind of, it goes up and down, you know, because in moments of high demand, like right now, we're about to put on new shows at the end of the month. Um, so that's going to be, a, they've launched, I think, at the start of August um, and they'll run for three months. So at the moment we're at kind of high high energy yeah, yes yes <laughs> and the rest of the time it kind of shifts to the talks program and the education program and that that you know it takes on different stuff but the wonderful thing about running a digital online gallery is you don't need an enormous number of people to make amazing things happen wow so how is uh, uh how has your space changed with uh I, I know you get asked this all the time, at least I can guess you get asked this all the time with the rise of NFTs, has it affected you at all? Um, well, I think the whole digital space has transformed for the arts over the pandemic because Absolutely. it was suddenly absolutely necessary for all these completely Luddite, technophobic gallerists to suddenly start showing work online because their galleries were closed. So suddenly like in a month, it just went whoop and just mm -hmm. flipped from nobody doing it to everyone having to do it. Um, so we had a lot, it was good timing really, because we were developing BOMA and we were having all these conversations already. Um, with things like NFTs, we, we were kind of looking at it, really important to remain engaged with these things. You know, I'm always on Clubhouse in these conversations with NFT artists and 
And just, you know, a lot of it is giving advice, actually, because, you know, the problem with having no kind of regulation or central kind of curatorial, you know, um, experience is that a lot of people have, well, they don't have any experience of the art market. So they're thinking that they're completely free within this when actually they're not. They're still commanded by market forces. And that can always hurt artists as much as help them so you think it's related like you think there is there are parallels that we can build in between like physical art and how it's being used distributed stored and digital art uh with like within the context of nfts that like uh, artists uh i would say um, need to answer similar questions as of like uh um appreciation of their work and how they show it and all of this do you think there are any similarities in this sense I think there's always a space for a kind of a curated and guided um, experience. I, I think it, it can feel like a swarm. Right. You know, this is the problem. When I first got into NFTs, like about a year ago, I'd kind of stick my head into the websites and it would just feel like sticking your head into a bee's nest. It was just too much and it was it was unfocused and it was everywhere. And it felt like what it, what it needed was a bit of kind of focus and a bit of guidance. And I think that's the same for any art space. How do you guys with VOMA make this experience uh, for people to last? Because uh, uh, it might seem even way too easy to get access to digital art because it's just like everywhere. I mean, it's blinking and it's uh, rotating and it's time-lapsing and it does all these things and uh, you almost can find it almost everywhere. So how do you make sure that this experience for VOMA visitors is uh, different or mm -hmm. that they get something uh, different out of it rather than just, uh, I don't know, like screen scrolling and, uh, you know, yeah it's a really good question and, and it was it's a thought experiment voma and it still is but i think something that we found very early on was that people are navigating the way people are navigating is really telling because we've got all this data because we've got all the analytics we know exactly how people are behaving and you because i there's a pop-up map right because i was thinking yeah. everyone's going to be too lazy they're just going to want to jump around right so there's a map with all these different points that you can jump to. People don't do that. They walk through the gallery and they go from point to point to point to point. To yes, point. that's what I did. I do this all the time. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even care about the map, but like seriously, every time I started from the very beginning and uh, we drop, we're going to drop the link in the show notes and uh, under the video description. Guys, if you have not yet looked at the website, please do so that you understand why, because it's just like a, such an experience. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I think that was really valuable and, I, and it shows that people have a craving for that kind of physical exploration. And the way that you come across the works, you know, they are photorealistically 3D rendered images of famous artworks and new artworks, like I said. So when you walk in, you've got a surah in front of you and it look, it's a stupendously high resolution surah, which you can go right up to. And this is another thing you can't do in museums. You can go right, you can literally stick your nose right up against these artworks. And so what happens with, uh, uh, like, uh, I know you you mentioned just like uh, uh, five minutes back, uh, like workshops and educational programs and things like that. Uh, can you tell me more about like all the other activities that uh, uh, run around museum uh, ecosystem 
like uh, I like I did, wouldn't even expect that there is something on top. Well, I mean, of course I know, but uh, you know, uh, typically when I would hear something like, "Well, there is a virtual museum," I would expect you know like a gallery, but uh, uh, but yeah, what's with the program then? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to the guys at Outset. I don't know if you know them, but they're a major, major organization that works with museums all over the place. And they were saying that they were surprised that we'd done that because they're trying to get away from the what they see as the weight of the museum model. You know, they think that that's holding them back. But what we're doing is, you know, using VOMA as a real museum. So, yeah, so we have a talks program. Um, we generally do artist interviews, panel discussions. We're actually holding a conference at VOMA in November about art and uh, art and innovation, but particularly with a focus on climate change. Um, yeah, so we've got we've got all sorts of stuff. The education program is nascent, actually. I think by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have some stuff um, to to say for that. Um, I also I run an art and education charity as well called the 16 Trust. Um, and that's to do with kind of getting people from uh, poor economic backgrounds into the arts. Um, so they're, they're kind of teaming up these two kind of hats that I'm wearing because um, we've created another gallery, uh, yeah. a 3D gallery, um, for young people to make their own shows. So that's going to be part oh, nice. of We just worked with a, a school in New York. Um, we're working with a number of schools in the UK and Switzerland as well. Um, wow. So it's, it's potentially global, which is really exciting. And I think the idea of having a virtual education program for a museum is something that has well it's definitely never been done yes of course <laughs> again it's it's like the the world is our oyster we can kind of just create that in a way that that is absolutely absolutely um i'm actually really curious about this uh, uh the aspect of you know globalization and uh, how um um, I don't know, like, uh, how do you see the role of uh, virtual galleries in democratizing art or vice versa, selecting it? Because, you know, like, uh, traditionally, museums have seen, have been, like, seen as uh, uh, too selective for artists. And there's always been this almost unreachable barrier. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you see VOMA here? Is it... Uh, I know it's all curated. So how, like, how you guys are dealing with this in general? I think it's a really good question, and it's really core to what we're trying to do. I think um, the the access that we're talking about is not just access for audiences, but it's access to artists, you know, exactly. to get their work out there as well. So we're it's a two way street with Boma, you know there is actually a whole wall there called the discoveries wall where people are there's a little chat box in the corner and it says look if you've got any suggestions of works that we might have missed or work that i might have not not have seen then send it over and we'll get it up on the discoveries wall um so that's one thing but it's also we're trying to decentralize the art world in a way you know because it is still very much you know la new york london paris yes. You know, it's, that's really it, um, which misses out quite a lot of the rest of the planet. <laughs> yeah, which probably misses out another like uh, 195 countries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
which is nuts. And the thing is, because I, you know, you know, you can tell from my voice, I'm a white middle class English man who, you know, this is basically what most curators look like. And we do tend to hear the same stories retold again and again because of that. And that's because of my background and my education. It's limited by the way that I was taught. And I'm aware of that. And I'm trying to be as aware of that as possible. So the way that we're doing it is um, my kind of approach to curating is really a collaborative one with the artists. So for instance, the in the first show we had um, uh, the uh, Manet's Olympia, um, which is this amazing uh, painting of this woman who's mm -hmm. yeah. in the 1860s and, and she's looking down on you. So it was, it was a very empowered woman um, in those days and it was quite controversial. But in the background, there's this black serving girl who's not mentioned in any of the histories. And so I thought, well, who, who's she? What about her story? Um, so I asked an artist, a Nigerian artist called Abe Odedina, to basically create a room in conversation with Manny's Olympia and particularly about the girl in the background. So that's kind of what we do is, is trying to find new angles, new ways of talking about art. Um, also, the reach of VOMA is global because basically everyone's got, you know, everyone's got a phone. So they're, they're all 50% of it, all people look on it, look at it and visit on a mobile. And we've seen now, I think we've reached about 65 countries. Um, and because it's, it's got a kind of a virality because people just tell each other about it. There's a lot of word of mouth and there's a lot of tweeting going on in different languages. So we've seen like these massive spikes. So like, a few weeks ago, there were a thousand people a day coming in from uh, Korea. From wow. South. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. That was oh. nothing to do with us. <laughs> <laughs> Museums can seem mysterious and unattainable to mm -hmm. artists and to visitors alike. And what we're trying to do is break down those barriers a bit. Do you, do you see that uh, uh, there is a difference in between uh, like likable art in terms of art that makes it real big in social and art that is museum material. And, you know, like, how would you define this difference if there is any? That's really interesting. Um, I think what's interesting here is we're talking about the difference between the art market and museums. I think there is, there is a relationship between the two, uh, between the market and museums. And I think it's to do with who's buying the work. And I think mm -hmm. the way that the market is working at the moment is much more online. They, you know, they go straight to the artist and they've got Instagram and they've got these really useful online platforms. So I think things are gonna change in the future. And I think museums have taken such a hit over the pandemic, they've really got to work out their PR and get involved with what people are interested in mm -hmm. and why and actually start asking questions of the public as well. I think there has been this kind of onus on museums to, to be the representatives of culture and that's not necessarily okay on its own. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they need help with that. And I think this digital revolution has really showed that and it's really kind of flagged that up. So I think museums are trying, which is really nice. They're really trying mm -hmm get their heads around this um and i think maybe that will lead to more open yeah. as well so do you think in the future it's going to be easier for an artist uh, like contemporary artist to make it to to a museum or the, the barriers will still persist 
because we're talking about much more volume. I don't, I don't know really. I think um, even the Tate, you know, like Maria Balshaw, who's the director at Tate now. How a young artist can make it to VOMA. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I think what, what's interesting about that it is very diverse. I mean, the first show we had a 20, 25 year old um, artist from Africa alongside um, oh, wow. you know, uh, some, uh, you know, the, like the Surah and the uh, the Hieronymus Bosch and Gilbert and George. Um, I think um, it's really to do with, you know, with the, the way that things go into BOMA is it, it kind of feels like it needs to be, there needs to be a reason for it to be in BOMA. Um, yeah. I think it is a space for experimentation. You know, we showed Misha Milovanovic's sculpture. Now that's this great, it's a physical thing, but she designed it in a computer. So I said, Misha, can I borrow your sculpture? And so she emailed me the model and wow. we had a six meter high steel sculpture outside Voma. Um, and she's not showed in a museum before, I don't think. And it's really about trying to get really good quality artists that haven't had the opportunity to show in such a wide public space before and get them curated into these shows alongside known names so that it kind of raises their pl platform a little wow. bit. Wow, I never thought of this uh, as of like the forum of uh, art social elevator that, you know, like the acknowledged artists are like elevating and, you know, giving a hand to the younger ones. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's what the world should be about, really. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. The opportunity to platform a younger artist, you know, because we're always going to look to the next generation, you know. It's funny because you see Damien Hirst getting all these major museum shows. And, I'm, you know, personally, I don't think he's done anything interesting since that shark. But, you know, he keeps getting shows because everyone knows him. So, you know, in that case, why not, you know, if you put a really major artist next to another artist, walking into the the room you don't see them as separate you don't see the hierarchy. No, absolutely not yeah and i think we need to start thinking about these hierarchies and questioning them because they're holding us back and they're holding back the museum programs you know i think we all love andy warhol but we've seen about 700 shows thanks so it's like what about everyone else <laughs> you know <laughs> give a bit of wall space to the new people the new generation but again that's to do with getting new voices in you know to, yeah. to you know helping new voices into making these decisions wow that's 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 really interesting and uh, uh these new voices uh, as diverse as they can be in the future because we can control that i mean our generation kind of uh, uh like that definitely also opens more opportunities not only to curators but obviously to artists and like to overall community so what i'm hoping to do is get curators from all over the world, which is basically just friends of mine. So we've got people in MoMA, we've got people at the Pompidou in Paris, we've got uh, people from Tate, obviously, um, K11 in Hong Kong, to basically come and guide students through this curatorial program that we've got with this virtual gallery. Yeah. That's, we can do that. That's not a big deal for these curators. They'd love to do it. They'd love to get involved. And a lot of them really understand the problem of there not being enough diversity. Um, so that that's what we're working on at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And I'm also really curious to see what happens with uh, your charity program, because that sounds like an amazing adventure and uh, also, you know, like an amazing opportunity for all the younger 
uh, like the youngest probably artist that we have right now, um, yeah, like yeah, overall. Exactly. So that that sounds really interesting. They were all young ones, you know. And I think the the tagline of the charity uh, it's called the Sixteen Trust, by the way, the Sixteen dot um, They uh, the tagline is if they can see it, they can be it, and that's really nice. very it's about it's it's to do with kind of just showing people what's possible and then seeing what they do with it wow that is i think that is really really powerful and before i let you go we've got a little tradition on the podcast um uh -huh. i've got 10 questions for you and you're allowed like a couple of words oh, uh, for each um ready yeah okay go let's go Number one tip for combating distractions when working from home. Uh, take multiple breaks. I always have <laughs> things to do. Awesome. Like what? Oh, it can be anything. Like, you know, you know, there's always that smudge on the window that's kind of bothering you. <laughs> as simple as that. Just get up and clean the smudge off. Yeah. Great. Um, your favorite tradition or holiday? Or holiday. Um, Ooh, uh, but, but, but anything that involves eating an awful lot of food. <laughs> like, obviously, being as Italian as you <laughs> Yeah, anything, anything. I mean, I'll take anything. Um, Great. Yeah. Okay. Um, favorite way to get in some exercise? Uh, I do Kung Fu, so uh, that. And yeah. you're not a panda, as you're doing <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> okay, some real stuff. Okay, no joking. Like, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that for a number of years. So I, I'm learning new flying kicks at the moment, which is really good fun. Amazing. Wow. I can only imagine that as like as a break in between Zoom calls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to avoid distractions. Just go out. <laughs> yeah, Almost better than cleaning the smudge on the window. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your most used emoji? Uh, the rocket. Amazing. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. I think it was probably uh, a film director back in the day when I used to work on feature films. And uh, she'd been working on this film for four years. And I said, that that's ridiculous. It's like an enormous amount of dedication. And she said, well, the main problem is not doing something, it's deciding what to do and that you want to do it she said once you've decided that you want to do it all you have to do is do it so <laughs> that's a really brilliant piece of advice that was 20 odd years ago and i, I still keep that one close that's because i think it's true wow that is so cool that is so cool love that how do you celebrate little victories little victories I'll probably do a little dance actually little victories yeah okay yeah or a little flying kick and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, sounds great. Um, if you could see one movie again for the first time, which one would you watch? Oh wow, um, wow. Uh, probably. Oh, I mean, the first one that sprung to mind is two thousand and one Space Odyssey. That's it. it. We've got it. We've got it. Yes, I'm sure that many understand why. Those who watched understand why. Those who didn't just like put it yeah. on the list. Perfect. I Casablanca. I love Casablanca, but I'd love to see it for the first time again. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and finally, what's your backup career? 
backup career. Um, well, I always thought that as an alternate career, I could be a vintner because I, I trained as a wine merchant back in the day, so I could do that. Um, and I have been looking at vineyards, but I think that's more kind of retirement planning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, since now we all live very long, we have space for more than one career and you know more than one of everything so having a backup plan never hurts <laughs> amazing lee thank you so much for your time and for sharing all the insights it's been super interesting like you know it's uh, i personally learned a lot and i'm sure that uh, uh, people that are listening to this have also been uh you know like taking notes uh especially all the young artists that still have a couple of lifetimes ahead so yeah. there is space for Korea and one more. <laughs> it's been really, really fun. And, you know, anyone check out Voma and hit me up if you've got any kind of questions or anything. You know, I'm very open to all of that. Perfect. So. Um, oh, we're putting all the links in the show notes. So, guys, if you're listening to this in audio format, check out the show notes. And if you're watching this in the video, just below this video, there is a link to Voma and we're putting up on the screen. So just uh, check it out and take a couple of walks, I'm sure you'll understand why we also love it. Uh, yeah, again, thank you so much, Lee, and looking forward to catching up with you at some point later to see Absolutely. like a few updates on how Vom was doing. Brilliant, lovely. Thanks so much, huge pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Art Heroes Podcast. Check out www.artheroes.co for show notes, more interviews, and free tools made for you by our team of mentors. Tune in next week for more inspiration and keep up the great work, hero. Mm.